What is God calling you to? Is it connecting with God through reading his word or falling on your knees in worship and prayer? Maybe he's asking you to join a community or begin that ministry he put on your heart. How do I take the next steps from just attending church to becoming an active member of the body of Christ? What does it mean to become fully transformed in the image of Christ? Whatever it is, let us press on, press toward, and let us press in to what God has called us. Good morning, Colonial. Wow, that's loud. Good morning, Colonial Woods. Glad you're here this morning. And uh, if you're joining online, want to welcome you as well. Hey, uh, has anybody noticed the sun is shining outside? Let's do this. I, I know. I know it's like uh, a little chilly, but it's the sun is shining. It's January in Michigan. So how about this? Thank you, Lord, the sun is shining. Let's say that. Ready? Thank you, Lord, the sun is shining. Got to celebrate whatever you can celebrate. We were excited. We came in this morning, and it was 721. I saw the sun just starting to creep up in the eastern sky. I told Tammy, isn't it exciting, 721, and the sun is already starting to come out. I, I got excited. I like the days to get just a little bit longer. Hey, before we dig in this morning, can I do a little celebration with you? I, I just, uh, I think it's important for us to do this. We, uh, back in October, we uh, launched our strategic partner missions projects for the, the year. I think that might be the first one we've done since uh, 2000, whenever the COVID hit, 2020 there. And uh, so we, we kind of challenged the congregation. We set, a, we set about five, six, seven different ministries we want to come alongside of. I think our goal was around 50,000. And the week we launched it, we had an emergency evacuation we needed to do in Russia with some of our, 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 um, our missionaries, Aaron and, and Rashid Shakmayov. And uh, so we, we're, we put that in front on the same day. And can I just tell you that you folks, I was so blessed, over $80,000 came in for those projects. All of them are fully funded. We, we got Aaron and Rashid here. And for those of you who don't know, we, we essentially, in some ways, I mean, I mean we, we don't, we're not legalistic about it, but right around a tithe of whatever comes into Colonial Woods, we try to partner around the world in different ministries. And so last year, somewhere, I did a real quick survey this morning, somewhere close to 300,000, that with the projects and everything, that we were able to invest in planting churches and, and encouraging ministries and missions. And you'll say, I've had people say, Pastor, we can't afford that. Um, can I tell you, God be generous. And when we're generous, it is amazing how God just blesses and blesses. And so I want to thank you. I was so blessed when I saw that this last week. Hebrews chapter 10. Take your Bibles, would you? Hebrews chapter 10. And um, there's a passage of Scripture. The whole book of Hebrews is phenomenal. And, and, but there's a passage of Scripture that really resonated with me on this whole series we started last week called Press In. Press In. If you remember, we talked about the woman with the bleeding disorder, it was Mark chapter 5. But in Mark chapter 5, it says she was part of the crowd, and the crowd pressed in, and then she presses in further, and she just touches the hem of his garment, and she experiences a healing for a disease that she'd struggled with for 12 years. Now, we aren't going to do a revisit of that, but what we talked about is that when you press in to the Lord, when you press in, it puts you in position to experience his healing, and it's not just physical healing. 
healing, emotional, spiritual, every level of healing, when you're, when you're in his proximity, it puts you in that position, but also transformation. That as you get closer to the Lord, as you press in, it's amazing how he brings about change and transformation in your life. And then also when you press in, you can hear his heartbeat. And you can hear his will and his word for you. And so we're in this series, which is really a theme for the year. And you'll notice there are little press-in cards all around here. Out in the foyer, people are starting to post them. But I I challenged you to just simply look at one of those cards and say, what am I going to press into God this year for? Is it, is it a relationship that is on behalf of another? And just kind of put it out there as a physical remembrance of what God is doing and what you're believing God for in 2023. And I believe that's where the Lord's taking us. But in, in Hebrews chapter 10, look what it says. Hebrews chapter 10, he's talking about the tabernacle, the Old Testament. He's talking about the temple, or really the tabernacle, and and how the Old Testament law is just a shadow of the great things we have in Christ. Then he says this, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, and I assume sisters, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Let us press in, if you will, to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Over the last couple of months, there has been this growing sense of a picture in my brain. And I'm going to just warn you, you're going to get a glimpse into the brain of Phil Whetstone this morning And it can be a terrifying and scary thing because it's just the way my brain thinks. But I I read that passage this week and I began to think about the tabernacle in the Old Testament as a almost as a pattern, a picture, a methodology of coming into the presence of the Lord through prayer. Now, what you see up here are um, it's a it's a very vague representation of the tabernacle. In fact, the tabernacle, which was the traveling temple until the final temple was built, was roughly the size of the stage. wasn't that big. Um, you had, uh, from, the, from the drum cage to the organ is about 45 feet. From the front to the choir area is about 15 feet. That was really as big as the traveling tabernacle was. It was made with 15-foot curtains on the side. There was actually in the temple later a 40-foot curtain that divided the holy place and the most holy place. And then it had tent or uh, uh, coverings to create kind of an enclosed area for worship. The outer court would have been where, when you read the New Testament, it's where people would come to gather and worship. Um, Anybody could come here if you were a believer in God. Uh, Gentiles could come if you were a believer in Jehovah. Jews could come. Uh, Frankly, it was just for the general public. And interesting, in the outer court, which had been much larger in Jesus' time, there were only two articles of furniture. There was an altar, 
And then there was a, a bowl or a basin for washing. The altar is where they would have sacrifice. In fact, when you read the scriptures and you talk about the Passover lamb, how, how off of that temple mount, the blood would flow on behalf of the sins of the people. And every year, in fact, weekly, there were literally sacrifices made here, which is interesting because in order to come into the presence of the Lord, we have to be forgiven of our sins according to Scripture. What's incredible is that passage we just read says that Jesus is now that sacrifice that blood shed for us does never have to be done again and our sins are forgiven and so we're invited to go deeper and to come into God's presence because our sins are forgiven. The, the wash basin was for um, ceremonial washing and cleansing. And Scripture says that through Jesus Christ, uh, Titus chapter 3, he says that, that when the kindness of the Lord God met us, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we've done, right? Not because we did all this good stuff, but because of his mercy. And that he washed us through the blood of Jesus Christ and we were reborn through the Spirit of God. It's that picture that we're washed, we're clean to enter in. And then you would move into the holy place. The holy place was allowed only for priests. And the priests would go there daily to do their different functions. And it's interesting the, the articles that would have been in this little room. You had a golden lampstand. A golden lampstand that would have had six branches. It was a model, an almond tree. It was beautiful. And, and then including the middle shaft, it would have had seven little basins of oil in which they would light the oil and it would illuminate the holy place because you see it's completely entombed. It's just all covered with curtains. There's no light in there. And so it was an indication that God lights the way for our lives, which is fascinating because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. John says this is the verdict. Light has entered into darkness, but darkness hasn't understood it. But what's really challenging is Paul says that you as believers used to be darkness. Now you are light in Jesus Christ. So we have a testimony to bring truth into the world and then I began to think about what Dan and Ann are teaching on Wednesday nights out of the book of Revelation. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus had the, or when Jesus gave the revelation of heaven uh, to the New Testament church to John, he says there were seven churches and seven angels with seven what? Lampstands. And he says, and if you aren't faithful to the Lord, I'll remove your lampstand. He's not going to remove their faith, I'm going to remove your testimony. Powerful stuff. Everything in Scripture means something. Everything is pointing toward presence. Then you've got a, another uh, little table here with 12 loaves of bread, which Phil Whetstone would have probably sat at. And uh, it was called the bread of his presence. Panim. The manifest 
presence of God. Not just the omnipresence where God's everywhere. It's the personal presence. It was thought through this sacrifice you could have fellowship with God. You could have intimacy with God. And then there was this little bowl with incense right here, which was... uh, filled with the petitions on behalf of all the requests of the people and isn't it interesting revelation chapter 5 verse 8 when when john sees the revelation of heaven it says and i saw him who was seated on the throne and next to him was a bowl a golden bowl filled with the prayers of the saints when we come and we come before the lord in prayer and on behalf it goes before the throne of god it's this incredible picture but all of it is to invite us into the next room it's called the most holy place the holy of holies This was where it was said the tangible presence of God was. And Joe Schmo couldn't come here. General public couldn't come here. The priest couldn't come here. Only one person, the high priest, once a year could come before the presence of God. By the way, in here, only two things. The Ark of the Covenant which, by the way, the Ark of the Covenant, what did that represent? It represented the promises of God and the provision of God. Inside of the Ark were only three things. You had the manna, which was God's evidence of daily provision for the Israelites. You had the Ten Commandments, which was God's word to lead the Israelites. And then there was the, 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 the staff of Aaron, which was to show the authority of God anointing on the leadership. But here's the thing that really blew my mind. And I know, I said, you're pastor, you're all over the place. It's my brain. Welcome to my home. There's a covering over the ark with two cherubim up on the wall. And that covering is called the mercy seat. Why? Because in the Holy of Holies is the presence of God where we find promise and where we find mercy why is that a big deal because Matthew chapter 27 says that when Jesus died the curtain that kept everybody out of the most holy place was ripped in two at the moment he died from top to bottom by the way it was a 40 foot high curtain and Hebrews says because we have such a great high priest, Jesus Christ. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace where we find, here it is, mercy in our time of need. You see, everything in the Old Testament was all about presence. Everything we do in worship, whether it be prayer or singing or the Word of God or even fellowshipping, it's, we don't do those things to somehow out of obligation fulfill what God wants us to do. All of it is an invitation to come into His presence. 
to press in. Why? Well, Scripture says that presence, that when you come into his presence, it changes things. In fact, in your notes, I I just simply put them, I'm going to go quickly because I want to hit the last part of this. But presence is the key to peace. Moses, in chapter 33 of Exodus, when he was just ready to throw in the towel as a leader, God promised that Moses, I'm going to send you out of here and my presence will go with you. And Moses says, well, Lord, if you don't go with us, then don't send me because nothing's going to distinguish me or your people from anybody else. And Why? Because your presence not only distinguishes who we are, your presence is what gives me peace. There was an old uh, song years ago that popped into my head as I was thinking about it, and I'm guessing a good number of you have never heard it. It's called Holy Ground. And the song just simply went, we are standing on holy ground. And I know that there are angels all around. Let us praise Jesus now uh, because we are standing on holy ground. But the second verse says this, in His presence... There is joy beyond measure. And at his feet, peace of mind can still be found. If you have a need, reach out and claim it. For we are standing in his presence on holy ground. What calms my heart? What brings peace in the middle of a storm? It is the presence of God in my life. Not theory, not not speculation. It's His presence that holds me steady. I was reading yesterday in the book of Job, and in the very end of the book of Job, Job says these words after he has walked through storm after storm after storm after storm, and God has not yet restored all this stuff in his life. And he says this in Job 42.5. It's really powerful. He says, my ears had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. And it's one thing to know about God and to hear about Him. It's another thing when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death or you're walking through and you've experienced His presence and there is a depth that comes about you that gives you peace. You see, presence equals peace. Secondly, presence equals joy. Psalms says it this way. Uh, The psalmist said that... um, He says, you have made known for me the path of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You see, God is not obligating us to go into the Holy of Holies. God is not obligating you to pray. He's not obligating you to press in. God doesn't do it out of obligation. It's an invitation. And he knows that as you come near to him, you begin to experience his presence. And as you experience his presence, There is a level of understanding and a level of intimacy. Hillary, I loved your testimony this morning. I'll be honest with you, I was thinking this morning, um, uh, you were pretty young when I first met you. You were in high school. Uh, I'm not going to say how old you are now, but I've been here over 20 years. So uh, let's just say you're at least 22, you know. 
But I was, when you were sharing that testimony, how the Lord has become very real to you. My ears had heard about Him. My eyes have seen. Joy. Joy is the byproduct. Fruit. Number three, when, when we're in the Lord's presence, there's a fruitfulness. And Jesus said it this way. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If any man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. You can't bear any fruit by your side. But he said, but it, it shows glory to my Father that you bear much fruit. And when we talk about bearing fruit, Jesus says, listen, you come near to me, you get close to me, you abide in me, and you're going to have the byproduct of fruit in your life. And everybody thinks fruit is people coming to Christ. Well, that's one of them, but it's so much more than that because... Have you ever thought about, maybe you've done this, you've tried harder and harder and harder in your life to do the right stuff, and the harder you try, the more you fail. And, and it's like, oh, you know what? Maybe God just doesn't really want me to have victory. Maybe he just wants me to keep going through failure so I realize how much. But what's interesting is that when I come into his presence, there is a byproduct where he begins to give strength and he begins to give enablement. And what I was trying to do in my own strength he really wants to do for me as I come into his presence. You know what's interesting in the Old Testament? When the Israelites were traveling into the promised land, the Lord made them a promise. He said, when you go into this promised land, he says, you're not going to have to fight battles because I'm going to go ahead of you. And oh, by the way, you're going to live in cities that you didn't build. And by the way, you're going to drink water from wells that you didn't dig. That's the promise the Lord made to the Israelites. Literally, the Lord would go before him, drive out the people, and the Israelites would inherit the cities and the wells and all that stuff. When the Lord began in the book of Jeremiah to confront them on some stuff, he said, my people have committed two, sin two sins. They have dug cisterns for themselves dry cisterns that cannot hold water and they have forsaken the spring of living water you read that out of context and you're like what in the world is he talking about it was real simple God looks at him and says I offered you fresh water from a well you didn't dig and now you're out there trying to do it in your own strength and you're digging dry holes in the ground that don't even bring water. He said, I ask you to come close to me and to trust me. And I wanted to do for you what you could never do for yourself. And you've taken it upon yourself to do it all in your own strength. And you're just frustrated. Fruit. Jesus says, abide in me, remain in me. You can't do anything without me. And it's also the key to the supernatural because, again, as we come into his presence, we begin to see God doing things in the supernatural that we never could have seen in our own strength. And you're saying, Pastor, I thought you were going to talk about prayer. Yes. Because everything we've talked about it's not about obligation, but the invitation that God is extending to us to come into His presence.
presence. Prayer is not the only avenue, but I would tell you it is the primary avenue, certainly one of the avenues that God uses to invite us to come near to him. Why? Well, prayer activates our faith. I was just talking to somebody a little earlier about this, but it's interesting what it says in Hebrews chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Press in. Earnestly seek him. Translation, press in. So as you begin to reach out to the Lord on behalf of a relationship, as you reach out to the Lord, maybe just simply to Lord, I want you to rescue me and forgive my sins. You have to believe he exists and that he answers and rewards those who seek him. So as you begin to go to the Lord in prayer, he begins to reveal himself to you and your faith is activated in those moments. And then what's interesting is that you go deeper and deeper into prayer. You see, prayer activates faith. But it's also interesting because once you begin to see God answering prayer, all of a sudden it activates your spiritual eyes. When you begin to ask God and seek God, for example, we've got these press-in cards, and maybe you're praying for God to answer a provision need in your life, or maybe you're asking for God to take you deeper. What's interesting is that when you begin to pray into his presence, you then begin to see how God is answering that prayer. There's a, there's a psychological term uh, that's based off of the name, uh, what was it? Uh, gosh, I wrote it down here. It's, it's Bader-Meinhof psychology. It's a, it's, a, it's a phenomenon. Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. You probably don't know what that is. It's called the red car syndrome. Any of you ever notice that if you buy a red car, you start noticing how many red cars are on the road. Any of you ever notice that? Whatever color car you have, or if you find you bought, like let's say a, a Chrysler whatever, Pacifica, you start noticing every Pacifica on the road. Know what I'm talking about? When you start, when it's, it's called the red car phenomenon, and what it is is that when you buy a blue car or a red car, I noticed it with Ford F-150s that were a cobalt blue because when I got a used cobalt blue Ford F-150, all of a sudden I noticed how many Ford F-150s cobalt blue were on the road. My latest one were 2006 hatchback uh, Ford Focuses. I bought it because it was a rare antique. No, that's what the dealer said. <laughs> the dealer told me, he said, now I, I get it, I realize, and he's a very nice guy. I mean, it wasn't an issue at all. We liked the car. But I bought a 2006, 180,000 mile Ford, uh, uh, Ford Focus. I showed you a picture of it. Fits on the back of my truck. And he said, and it's a hatchback, he goes, you know, this is kind of a rare car. He said, there aren't a whole lot of hatchback two-doors that are automatics. <laughs> okay, whatever you got to use to sell the car, I guess. <laughs> but it got planted in my head. 
kind of a rare car. <laughs> oh, yeah, there are four doors out there, not two-door hatchbacks that are automatic. <laughs> you know how many 2006 two-door hatchbacks there are on the road? You don't. I do. <laughs> I stopped and looked at a red one in Frankenmuth because I thought about buying another. They're all over the place. Do you know what they said in that, that whole theorem? They said, once you invest in something, it now awakens value in your life and you will begin to find it because it has awakened value. As I begin to pray and I begin to intercede, and I accept the invitation to come before the throne of grace where we find mercy in our time of need. And I begin to ask God to change lives. And I begin to ask God to open up opportunities. What happens is it awakens value. It, could it be God was actually doing this before? You just never noticed it? And so when I come before the Lord in prayer and I commit myself to seek his face and to press in, it awakens my faith, it activates my eyes. And then the last one is, is that as God answers that prayer, it actually emboldens me to ask for more. Isn't it interesting? You see, a lot of times we think, you know, if God answers prayer, we should just be satisfied. I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a spiritual principle. As God answers prayer, <laughs> Scripturally, we are emboldened to come and ask for more. Because when we see God healing one person, when we see God moving, hey, do you know what's interesting? The woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment, nowhere in Scripture before she did that do I see anyone sought Jesus to touch the hem of His garment. Within two chapters, everyone is trying to touch just the hem of Jesus' garment. Why? She had breakthrough faith. She had a faith that was willing to dare to do something that everybody thought was stupid, and she did it, and it became the standard of faith later on. Breakthrough faith. And so as God answers prayer, He doesn't say, no, that's good enough. Just be satisfied. He said, no, go ahead. I'm a loving Father and you've sought my presence. You can just keep coming and coming and coming because it's not about selfishness. There's a movie, some of you have heard about it, but I love the movie. It's um, Shawshank Redemption. I'm not suggesting your kids watch it, okay? Um, it, 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 TV version, you know, be it over 18. Um, but can I tell you, this guy is unfairly convicted for a crime he didn't commit in the 30s, not based on a true story. And his name is Andy Dufresne. And Andy's trying to build a, a, a library in the prison. Warden just laughs at him. He says, well, here's what I know. The people of the state do not want to put any money into inmates' reading. They put it into cells and bars and one other thing. I can't remember what it was. But they don't put it into inmates' reading. Andy said, well, 
would it hurt to ask? And the warden says, you go right ahead and ask, Andy. In fact, tell you what, you write that letter of yours and I'll even give you the stamp and put it in the mail. For six years, Andy wrote a letter every single week asking for money for the library. After six years, he finally gets a whole bunch of material, a bunch of books, a bunch of records, and he gets a little envelope that says, um, uh, Mr. Duprane, you must be insane because you keep writing us over and over. Um, we're going to give you $200 and all of these resources. We hope that that puts to bed and that you will quit contacting us. So the guard said, well, man, you did really well. You got stuff nobody thought you'd ever get. Uh, you're probably, you know, going to be satisfied now. He goes, are you kidding? I'm going to start writing two letters a week. <laughs> By the way, at the end of the movie, $500 a year is just set aside in the annual budget to put into this. Why? Because an answer to his request made him want to come even more boldly in the future. Prayer, yes. It activates our faith. If we press into his presence, he wakens our spiritual eyes. And so it's amazing. You ever notice when you see one healing, you start seeing lots of healings? Why? Because it just simply emboldens you. You see one victory. You see one person coming to Christ. You see one marriage healed. You see one. You start seeing it over and over. Why? Because maybe God isn't answering prayer to satisfy you. It's to embolden you to come even more. So we put a challenge in front of you in your bulletins of 21 days of prayer. You're saying, wait, we should have done this on the first week. Yeah, we're going to start now. And if you haven't been engaging in the Lord in prayer or it's an obligation, throw the obligation away. See it as an invitation into His presence. Give them five minutes or ten minutes. You say, I already pray five minutes a day. Great. Give them 15. Begin to press in on behalf of those needs you've been putting in the board. And I just realized the only place we have these little boards are up here in the front. I thought we had them. We're going to get a few of them out there. Oh, there is. I can see them right now. Go out there. Sign your name. Just say, I'm going to write it down. I'm going to make a commitment. This is not an obligation. It's an invitation. But I am going to come before the Lord and let's see what God does in 21 days. Let's hear the testimonies of what God does when His people pray. Father, thank You for Your day. Thank You for Your Word. My prayer today was uh, just simply his. My brain was all over the place. Was simply Holy Spirit that you would say something to someone exactly where they're at to speak the very words of life that invite them into your presence. And the beginning of prayer is just simply the faith to come. And maybe you've been afraid to even begin to think, to dare to ask. Or maybe you're here and you have no idea what it means to be a follower of Christ. Can I tell you, He already paid the sacrifice through His blood. 
So it begins by just believing he died for your sins. Scripture says receiving that for yourself and then through that promise, experiencing forgiveness, salvation, and the ability to enter in. Awaken us, Lord, to the invitation. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.